Hello everyone and welcome to Rad Chat, the first therapeutic red dog filler oncology podcast. Welcome to podcast number 32. My name is Naaman Joe Cranderson and I'm joined by my fellow host Joe McNamara. Hi everyone. A big thank you to our last guest, Linda Thomas, who discussed her role as uh, CEO of Macmillan Cancer Support. If you haven't had a chance yet, please do go and take a listen. So we are pleased to introduce our guest for this evening, uh, Charlie Parvin, uh, who's going to be discussing the transition from therapeutic radiography student to uh, band five newly qualified member of staff in the NHS. Um, hi, Charlie. Hiya. Hiya. Um, so, Charlie, uh, please can you tell us a bit about yourself and if you feel comfortable, um, why you chose therapeutic radiography as a career. Certainly. So, uh, as you rightly said, my name's Charlie. I am uh, just studying therapeutic radiography. Well, my degree is radiotherapy but therapeutic radio therapeutic radiography um as a postgraduate at the university of liverpool um i did my undergrad a while ago um back at the university of leeds in microbiology um and yeah uh, i got into the whole radiotherapy sphere because i've been working in the nhs for what feels like eons but probably to some people is um, not at all but after my undergraduate degree, there wasn't really any chance for career progression. And so I was looking out and thinking, well, I could go and study for a couple of years, become a biomedical scientist. Um, I do that maybe part time, you know, do the top up modules because my undergraduate degree wasn't accredited. Um, and I've always had a sort of interest in oncology and healthcare and stuff like that. And so I happened to see the radiotherapy PG dip course advertised in Liverpool and I thought well that's really cool actually you know getting to speak to patients build that bond with patients make a difference that that old cliche you know make a difference in in patients lives but it's it was that sort of fine line between being very very much involved with the patients and being doing lab work which I had done kind of in the middle and I'm really glad I made that choice I'm really really glad particularly because I'm coming to the end of my um, my degree as, uh, as Naman said and I've just secured my first um, band five role <laughs> that sounds really that sounds excited really so where where is your new job going to be at so I am one of the lucky people who gets to uh, to help kind of set up a new centre. So um, those of you who are, have a finger on the radiotherapy pulse uh, may be aware that the Christie have got a new satellite centre that has just opened. Um, so they haven't opened for radiotherapy just yet. They are due to be opening, but I am going to be one of the band fives starting work at the Christie at Macclesfield, um, just awaiting an exact start date and stuff like that but I'm still on placement at the moment so um it's not a major rush. so Charlie for anyone out there who doesn't know what a satellite center is can you talk us through what that is so uh that's a very good question and you know what <laughs> I'm glad I actually know the answer to this one so the Christie is a NHS trust sort of in and of itself so it's not attached to a well, the main site isn't attached to a separate hospital. It's a sort of its own entity. And that is, um, that's sort of the hub of the NHS trust. And then it has these spoke centres um, that sort of come off of it, which are attached to other sort of district hospitals. So there's one at Salford, there's one 
in Oldham and there's going there's now this one at Macclesfield so it's a slightly smaller centre that might not have um, quite as much that's dedicated solely to that centre but it's attached to a district general so it's still got the access for the most part to sort of A&E and stuff like that. Um, Macclesfield one is slightly bigger than the one at Salford I believe because this one has the capability to deliver chemotherapy as well as radiotherapy and potentially immunotherapy although please don't quote me on that <laughs> she says on a podcast but um, yeah it's um, it just means that patients who are currently having to commute all the way into the centre of Manchester which for anybody who's ever had to go to the centre of Manchester can be um, a delight at times uh, it just means that they've got uh, access to a centre that's close to them and it just means that we're going to be able to open it up and you know help improve the lives of people further across the northwest and the sort of I think North Midlands as well it's, it's really oh, exciting. Thank you for explaining that and obviously it would be great to have accessibility for radiotherapy I know um, lots of radiotherapy departments are located within maybe oncology centres or within specific um, cancer hospitals, but that does mean because of the specific requirements for the equipment, the dosimetry, the physicist uh, requirement and their input, essentially that can mean that it's, it's quite troublesome to be able to just implement radiotherapy into every um, cancer hospital or every trust so um, satellite centres are a halfway house almost in being able to offer populations that accessibility to to treatment so Charlie um, tell us a little bit about kind of what you've been doing throughout your degree because you're quite active on social media Uh, you obviously get involved in lots of things that are extracurricular to your actual training do you want to talk us through kind of why you've got involved in that and maybe some of the things that you do so um kind of link i suppose linking the radiotherapy with some of my extracurricular activities was um via radio like what i call rad twitter which i'm sure is other people do call it as well but just because otherwise i get myself tongue-tied i got involved in the action uh, the mars for radiotherapy which was action radiotherapy the i believe the charity it has indeed to radiotherapy uk Um, now (laughs) exactly see i do i do pay attention (laughs) but i got involved with that because i've always well i say i haven't always had a passion for running but i've really found the benefits of running and getting outside and exercising um particularly beneficial for my mental health which was something that did take a bit of a a bit of a pounding during this degree but um so I've got involved in that and kind of took um took a I don't want to say like a leading role in our little society of radio student forum group but I was sort of trying to help chivvy people along and stuff like that but um yeah aside from that when I've not been linking it to um to radiotherapy I've I've run a couple of marathons for reasons that still kind of unknown even to myself clearly it's a um slightly bonkers thing to do um I've also done tough mudders which um obviously were great they came back last year which was great I've now done 62 of them had to think about that (laughs) wow (laughs) um and uh I don't normally have a scrape on my face. That's from playing rugby. I had a rugby match yesterday. Um, yeah, I think it's something because I live by myself and I've lived by myself for a while now, but particularly being someone who's slightly older than you know the undergrads who are going through um, their course and stuff like that, 
you sometimes feel like a little bit isolated and so getting out and keeping active particularly for my mental health that's been a it's been a really big thing for me so yeah <laughs> I like to get out and I like to post things on Twitter quite a lot too and the, the radiotherapy Twitter and diagnostics Twitter the Twitter the friends I've made you know it's been it's been fantastic so I was going to say if anyone's watching the on our YouTube channel Charlie has very strategically placed all of her medals right behind just to show off her achievements I, I like I, it I totally didn't turn around the medal hanger specifically for that no no 100% didn't do that no, it sounds good. And I mean, you talked about Master Radio Therapy. Joe was one of the, the the founders of it, and it was an amazing challenge. And I'm looking forward to it happening again next year. Oh, no, this year. Sorry, 2022. This year. <laughs> so, Charlie, you mentioned a little bit about mental health, and obviously only if you're comfortable in doing so. But why do you think it took such a hard hit during this degree? Do you think it was as a result of COVID, or do you think it is as a result of kind of working with cancer patients can you kind of put your finger on what it is that you think ensures that that from our perspective and maybe some of my experience of of supporting students you know we do see a high proportion of students with mental health issues do you think that that's as a result of what you've had to go through in terms of the pandemic or is it more around kind of the role as a student in radiotherapy I definitely think there's no one clear cause that I could say is is the the main thing that's um, sort of rearing its head. I do think a lot of it is the destigmatization of mental health. Is that probably a lot of people did have mental health issues, they just weren't. I don't want to say willing, but they they were sort of loath to admit it. They were embarrassed. They felt the stigma of it, you know. And that's one of the reasons why I'm trying hard myself to be such a big advocate for talking about mental health because it's okay not to be okay you know it's it's all well and good being sunshine happiness and rainbows but um you know sometimes the people who are hurting the most are the ones with the biggest smiles on them you know you take a look at people like um robin williams and you know chester bennington of, of lincoln park you know that his um his widow his widow put up a video of him you know laughing and smiling a couple of days before he took his own life you know um so i think being open and honest about your mental health helps destigmatize and release not release uh, relieves the pressure on people to say actually do you know what i am struggling for me it took me having a, a positive pcr test that came sort of out of the blue like a routine one and i went i cannot be alone in my house for 10 days with my thoughts i just completely spiraled down um i think it was just the thought of you know because we we'd had quite a lot of our placement cancelled because of the you know because i started my degree in january 2020 perfect timing i know it's just anybody who knows me knows i've got amazing timing but, um, yeah, and so I mean, we were actually on summer holidays, but I was making sure I was going out. You know, this is when restrictions were being lifted and thinking, I can't go out. I can't see people. I'm not going to talk to another human being face to face for eight days. And it just made me go, I don't think I can do this. I really don't think I can cope, you know. And when I when I am on placement... Um, I mean, obviously, I think everybody looks forward to having a bit of a break so they can have a bit of a lie in, you know, and relieve some of the pressure. But it, for me, it's going, 
I don't actually know the next time I'm going to speak to another human being face to face. Um, you know, and it is my choice to live alone, but exercise and the getting out and that stuff for my mental health it was sort of made me go oh my goodness you know and I suppose there is the, the the fact that we are dealing with a very emotional career choice that we've made you know people always say oh isn't it depressing you know working in cancer care no no it's not it's lovely you know nine times out of ten it's amazing and you know even if you're dealing with a patient who is palliative you know who isn't potentially in the best health knowing that you've made a difference to them is fantastic. But there are the days where, you know, when your patient has to be concluded because they're not well enough to be treated or you get that phone call that says, oh, you know, Mr. Mr. Bob's not going to be coming in, you know, because he's, he's taken a turn over the weekend and, you know, next thing you know, you're hearing that he's passed away. It is, it's, it can be emotionally draining, you know, the good and the bad. So I do think that, being open about our mental health, you know, and stuff like that, you know, it can, it can, it can only benefit us by saying, actually, I am struggling. And then what is it, the whole a problem shared is a problem halved, you know, putting it out there on Twitter and saying, I'm having a bad day, guys, you know, you know, it doesn't, you don't have to go into it, just say that like, guys, I'm having a bad day and, you know, or being able to get signposted to where you need to go to be able to have you know a slightly better time or just someone go hey i'm here if you just need to rant and vent or if not i'll just send you a funny meme because you know that's what we do isn't it we send funny memes we send funny gifts to each other (laughs) yeah and i think being a student sometimes people forget when they're qualified staff that actually students can have the same problems as we do as staff members and you know in a way you've probably got a few more pressures because you've got deadlines on top of deadlines sometimes i think the pandemic really highlighted how difficult it can be especially in isolation Obviously, lots of patients had similar experiences where they're only coming in for treatment and lots, you know, lots of uncertainty. But as you said, it's nice to share. Um, and the Twitter world is actually quite nice, I would say. I know we, we've talked about it quite a lot in podcasts where there's, they're very supportive. And, you know, um, Dr. Richard Simcock talked about the COVID papers and how it helped different sort of radiotherapy departments across the world just through posting on Twitter. So there's a lot to be said for it. So Charlie, um, do you want to talk to us a little bit about kind of that transition that you're starting to engage with now going into your first ever role as a therapeutic radiographer? You know, what what's it feeling like? What things are you worried about? <laughs> well, you know, the joys of having a slightly um, precarious at times uh, mental health does mean that there's a lot of anxiety about it. Um, I was, I suppose I'm reassured that because it's a new centre and it's going to be sort of, of starting up, not slowly, because I don't think anything ever happens slowly in radiotherapy, does it? But, um, you know, they'll be, they'll start to sort of ramp up the, the patients they have. I, and it's a, being a smaller centre, I feel like I'll have slightly more, not control as such, because again, there is a limited amount of control in um, radiotherapy with what's happening. But I do feel like I can just say, right, okay, I'm going to get hold of this. I'm going to get hold of that and stuff like that. Um, knowing that there's two other people who are from my course who are also going to be joining as band fives reassures me because it's right people I know because I think there's a lot of the fear of the unknown. You know, not knowing if you're going to necessarily gel with all the people that you work with. Um, and stuff like that. I'm also 
you know, um, because I'm coming from having placement at the site, well, the main site of the trust that I'm going to be working with, I'm quite familiar with a lot of the SAPs. Like, I know they're going to be using Electa machines because if you gave me a Varian machine, I would probably just about be able to model my way through it, but I'm uh, rather spoiled with my Electa. You know, I know how to use the, uh, the OMS and stuff like that. So I'm reassured it's still that moment of, oh my gosh, but having spoken to a lot of the band fives and even the band sixes at my site, you know, hearing that you've got that, you know, preceptorship or the induction, depending on what your site calls it, is that, yes, okay, you do still have the power, like you've got that sign in and, you know, we're obviously adhering to IRMA and IRR regulations, but you do also always work with somebody and, you know, I'm going to have a band six there who's going to be experienced and I know a couple of the sixes who are going over, which again, makes me feel a bit more like, right, okay, I can do this. I know that my university wouldn't have let me get this far without them thinking she must be at least somewhat competent. <laughs> I'd like to think that my, the people I'm working with at my placement at the moment wouldn't let me switch on if they didn't think I was competent. And so thinking, well, actually, if they've got this confidence in me, why can't I have that confidence in myself? It's something I'm working on, definitely, you know, having a bit of self-belief. And there's always that moment where you just have a bit of a, oh goodness, I can't remember how to move the gantry or, oh, whoops, I turned, the, I, I put the bed the wrong way, you know, or I've, I've moved it in rather than moving it out but everybody makes mistakes, you know. There's some of the funny, you know, you hear some things people go, oh God, I did this and oh, I did that. And you're thinking, all right, okay, you're not expected to know exactly everything like that, you know. Yes, okay, there's going to be a bit of a step from going from a student to being a band five, but it's probably not as big a step as I'm kind of making it out in my brain to be. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll let you know when I've actually made the step, but... Um, Maybe it's not this gaping wide chasm that I'm thinking it's to be. Maybe it's just like jumping over a puddle. I always liken um, qualifying to learning to drive. So, you know, when you're learning to drive, you're behind the wheel, you're in control, but you know that someone can press the brakes for you um, and you never have the radio on. You're not allowed to listen to music and you've got to concentrate. Um, and then when you qualify in that first time that you're driving on your own, you know, it's such a vivid memory, I think, for a lot of people once that first drive on your very own. Maybe it was mine because I almost crashed. But, um, you know, it is a real vivid memory of being in that car on your own, listening to your music, uh, going those three miles over the speed limit because you're like, oh, someone's not here to remind me that to go only 30 miles an hour. Um, but it's so important, I think, to recognise that there will always be people there to support you. Um, and you did mention preceptorship, which I think is really important and something that I know the repair, um, the repair project and also the repair champions that were working for Health Education England were really looking to implement that preceptorship. Have, was that something that you kind of looked into and almost became part of a reason why you wanted to go there? Or was it just a consequence of kind of starting in that centre? honestly it was just a sort of a consequence of happening um i was very lucky in that this was the first job i applied for um i 
you know, I hadn't even thought about applying. And then we got a email from the education coordinator at our centre who had been sent it by the um, centre lead, I believe, for uh, Macclesfield, but I could be wrong. And he's sort of saying, well, why aren't any of the students applying for this job? And this was back in mid-October, maybe? And so obviously all the undergraduates who are in their third year wouldn't really be applying because um, they won't be graduating until a little bit later. And I sort of spoke to the other people at my site and I thought, well, clearly they want students to apply for it. They wouldn't say, why aren't the students applying for it if they didn't, you know, potentially want students to apply for it. Um, so even though, you know, the job specification says, you know, a, must have the HCPC registration, I thought, well, in for a penny, in for a pound, and I'll, you know, just a bit of experience. Um, and so I suppose I'm quite lucky in that I've got the first job interview I went for, and therefore I haven't really had to look around at other places, you know. I do think having experience in that centre is has reassured me that, you know, and seeing people go through the induction setting at the main site um, has kind of reassured me that it's not this big, horrible, terrible thing that everyone likes to, you know, say to scare you. It is there to make you a safe, competent and a better radiographer. So, um, yeah. <laughs> that comfort feeling is quite nice, though, isn't it? I mean, when people apply for jobs, sometimes they might use a scattergun approach and apply to every band five job there is in the country. But having that experience in the same, as you said, the standard operating procedures, so you know how things work, you know some of the people you work with, that comfort's really nice. I think especially if, you know, you're a bit worried of maybe a bit about imposter syndrome, where you know people trust you, they, you know, they know who you are, that's quite nice. But some people like that leap of faith, though, just to go and go to a completely different centre in a different part of the country. And I think for anyone listening um, who doesn't know much about the NHS, you can start as a band four, so waiting for the ATPC registration. That's what I did. So similar to you, Charlie, in the department I uh, trained in, I managed to get a job there, but I started as like a band four. So this is a few things you can't do, but then that while you're waiting for the HCPC, at least you've, you know, you're getting a bit of money into your pocket. Um, you're not having to work on weekends like I did just to be able to go. So it's nice. Charlie, have you, um, have you thought about your long-term career pathway or do you feel it's too early? I'm just intrigued because as a lecturer, we do always get students to start to think about long-term aspirations, role models and things like that. But it's, it'll be interesting to hear from your perspective. Is that something that goes through your head or are you literally at, woohoo, I'm nearly a band five and that's it? <laughs> um, it's a little bit of both, I think. Um, you know, one of the main things about therapeutic radiography is that there is that sense of continual learning. You know, CPD is such a critical part of it. You know, I've been looking at the HCPC website today, you know, in a bit of downtime, you know, reading about the standards and, you know, making the amount of emphasis that's placed on CPD. Um, and it, that has sort of made me think that, um, so the, the joys of my degree is that because it's a PG DIC, it's effectively a master's without the dissertation and I'm really keen to definitely do um, do that dissertation. I've already got ideas of what I want to do it on. Um, I mean, that may change. <laughs> definitely taking a bit of a break from, from the learning for at least a short period of time. 
um, it will just be nice to be able to turn my computer on just to, you know, play some video games or watch YouTube rather than have to turn it on and, you know, boot up Mendeley or EndNote or Microsoft Word. You wait though, Charlie. <laughs> I give you but, a month before you're itching to get started on your dissertation. <laughs> <laughs> but um, definitely want to do my master's, get my dissertation, um, definitely get a band six role, um, whether it's staying in the manchester area whether it goes elsewhere you know depends where the jobs are at um i like the idea of becoming a specialist radiographer um so there's one well there's a few obviously at my site but um i like the idea of being able to have that a bit more of a link you know rather than the oncologists and the doctors you know the registrars and stuff like that having that link with people who worked like on set and have done the switching on and have that understanding i really like that idea and that understanding of why we're causing potential side effects and late effects to our patients because of the nature of how we're treating them i don't necessarily know which site i'd like to go for um you know um i think you know at the moment it's still very very early on you know i've not even really started the career path aside from the, the degree but um i really like the idea of you know being able to get to know the patients a little bit more you know have that time to sit down and talk to them and make sure that they're getting that you know patient-centered care and that holistic care that they're needing you know and making sure that they are feeling as well supported as they can be you know i do i do like that idea I'm obviously quite biased, but it sounds like you want to be in review, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like to talk. I don't, I, you know, I don't know what, um, <laughs> what else to say aside from I like to talk, and I do like to talk to the patients, sometimes to my detriment. <laughs> no, I doubt it's to the detriment. Um, I suppose being a mature student as well, Charlie, do you think some of your life experiences before have helped in your kind of, well, role as a student and now transitioning into a band five? yeah um so having worked in healthcare um i think that i've maybe got a bit more experience in you know talking to patients and particularly talking about potentially uh, upsetting information you know when a patient's getting worked up and emotional um i have that little bit of experience um which i do think has worked in my favor you know i've i've had the feedback that i'm good at talking to patients i've worked in a dementia care home for i worked you know while i was at uni doing my undergrad so when we've got patients who've got you know complex communication needs particularly with dementia or if they're somewhat more frail you know i do have that experience and i have been able to apply that and that's not at all to say that somebody who is you know 18 years old fresh out of school won't be able to do that that's not at all what i'm trying to say it's just having had that experience it's the like i don't want to, i can't remember what the word is like transfer transferable skills you know having that experience you know i had to remember to i couldn't remember what physics was when i started this degree you know so it's just someone who's just come straight from uni's got that over me Gosh, I couldn't, I couldn't have told you what an electron or a neutron or a proton was at the start of this degree, whereas I have that experience of being able to talk to the patients and the life skills, you know. So I think it does even out between the undergrads, you know, people who can bend down and check the post pin slightly easier on the bottom of a bed. Charlie, you are not that old at all. <laughs> 
29. I'm, pl- I'm plenty old. <laughs> so, Charlie, obviously having so Charlie. experience of talking with other students, um, maybe linking through the Society College of Radiographers, what challenges do you think there are that students face that us as lecturers or clinical members of staff, practice educators, what can we do to support students better? Oh, that is a good question. I think that overall, realising that not every student is going to experience university in the same way. You know, for some people, you know, for example, like undergraduates, this might be the first time they've ever lived away from home. So they might be having issues with that. You know, they may be going, you know, thinking, oh, goodness, you know, I'm never going to be able to do this stuff like that. Realising that mature students, you know, I'm, I don't want to say lucky that I don't have kids because that implies that people who have children are unlucky. I'm, uh, I don't have children, so I don't have to worry about childcare, for example. But, you know, with my cohort being, a mixture of mature students you know people have got kids and they've got a factor in childcare, for example and i think i've been very lucky in that my degree and my lecturers have been really understanding that you know people have got childcare commitments you know particularly if their kids have got doctor's appointments and stuff like that realizing that you know that isn't to say that they're not a good student you know it's sometimes you know realizing that I don't want to say people have a life outside of university because I think everyone knows that people have a life outside of university. But I suppose just making sure that the students are able to talk to the lecturers, you know, and just say, look, I'm having, I'm really struggling with this rather than having that very much like us and them mentality. I know that if I ever had an issue, I could talk to my academic advisor and just drop her an email and just say, look, I'm having issues with this. And she'd get back to me when she could. But then I also need to appreciate that she also has however many other students that she's got to deal with and she's got a family of her own so it does go it does go both ways but I I mean I have I've had wholly um, positive experiences with my lecturers understanding that you know I when I was struggling with my mental health like early on after the you know the, I don't want to say the pandemic hit because it kind of hit when I before I even started the course but when they cancelled our first placement block and I was you know on team's call just crying and she was like right what 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 can I do to help you you know realizing that she wasn't just my academic advisor wasn't just there just as my academic advisor that was her role predominantly but realizing that she was also there to say look what can I do to help you because if I can help you outside of your academics it's going to then obviously help you with your academics you're going to be able to achieve the things that I know you can achieve so um yeah <laughs> that probably didn't really answer your question I do apologize no that was perfect you definitely did and I think quite nicely Charlie you've shined quite a nice light if you want on lecturers and people who work at universities have supported students throughout the pandemic right from the beginning um the people like Joe who I'm sure and I know have been on the phone quite late at night helping support students it is nice and it's it isn't necessarily always part of your job, but it's something I think we all enjoy doing and it does correlate into clinical practice because, you know, that's how you, if if you see someone be like that with you, you want to help other people in the same way. I think that's quite a nice thing to point out as well. Um, and with our job, it's that technical versus fluffy, isn't it? So 
lots of technical knowledge, but lots of fluffy, um, which does help with, as you said earlier, with patients going through quite a tough time. But we do see patients in their hardest, toughest times, but you know, lots of them get through it, whether it is for treatable but not curable cancers or it is for radical treatments, we still see them through to the end. I'm sure you've got to know your patients quite well, haven't you? Yeah, there's always, I think, when people said at the start, there's always patients that stick with you. And I was like, what are you on about? Like, no, no, no. There definitely are. There are patients that will stick with me. Um, even if I've only seen them once out of their entire course of treatment, there are patients that I will, every now and again, will pop into my head. And I'll think, oh, I wonder how they're doing. Or, you know, I, I made a difference to them. You know, it was one of the questions I had in my interview was, to, you know, tell us about a time that you've, I think it was something that went, went above and beyond to improve a patient's experience and I knew straight away who I wanted to talk about and it was just this um, this patient who was quite claustrophobic and I was on my first placement block and the joys of being a student is you're that extra pair of hands feet or an extra mouth <laughs> which um, I'm particularly good at doing and I could just speak to her over the tannoy system and just relay like what exactly we were doing while the radiographers were going you know and doing all their checks and doing the scans and reading all the details out I could just focus solely on her and make sure that she was having the best experience possible considering she was in something that utterly terrified her and for me that really cemented how much use a student can be and I know that um Big Rad Tom on Twitter hates the term just a student but I think when you do when you start you kind of think oh I'm just a student what can I do but you're never just a student you know you can be someone who's nipping to the pharmacy to go get that thing for a patient and stuff like that you know you, and you can make the difference to that patient but in that moment me being able to speak to that lady over the tannoy I'm gonna that's I'm gonna remember that forever. And it was another thing that I posted on Twitter recently about a lady who wasn't um she didn't have particularly good um use for arms and legs like after having suffered a, a, a stroke and she turned to me and she just went, Thank you at the end of her 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 treatment. I could I could have absolutely cried because we had that connection and you just think, gosh, like I was just doing my job but for her it, it clearly made a difference and yeah that's that's gonna stick with me for a long time I'm really glad you have highlighted that because it is something that I relate to all students um irrespective of how confident they are or um how they feel about being able to support students you know how knowledgeable they are around radiotherapy at the end of the day it is that holding someone's hand you know helping someone lie down helping the clinical staff you know talking to a patient about their day or their weekend learning the names of their grandchildren um you know it's all of those things that I think makes a huge difference and something I always say to students is if the department is very quiet which rarely is but you know if there are times maybe when it's too busy and you can't get involved in in treatment setups the impact is still as valuable um for that patient if you are talking to them if you are explaining things if you're able to help them put their their clothes on you know 
all of those things make a, a real difference and I always suggest that students spend time in waiting rooms um it's a bit harder with covid because you've got you've got to sit two meters away so initiating a conversation like that is somewhat harder but it is a really valuable experience and i know from my own personal experiences a lot of what i've learned about the cancer pathway was from a, from was from patients talking about their experiences and and learning from them and it's something that I know we are passionate about doing as part of the podcast and um, but you've highlighted it perfectly there Charlie that you know your role really is instrumental in improving people's experiences um, and that's patients and staff you know the ability that you have to be able to have a positive impact is really really important. So Charlie, what would be your top tips for anyone who is starting to near the end of their degree um, and, you know, they're starting to think about applying for a job, going for an interview, they're already absolutely petrified of getting in those final assessments, but they know lingering in the back of their head is, oh no, I've got to get a job. What advice are you going to give them? Well, I think I'd be remiss in not mentioning the new professionals forum that's done through the Society of Radiographers. Um, so, I, again, I could be wrong about when you're able to join this, but I think if you're in your final year of your degree, you can join that. And they have meetings every, at least every couple of months. I can't recall off the top of my head. And you can stay in that forum until potentially two years after graduating. And so that's a really handy um, sort of support network to have because you've had the experience of people who are going through their preceptorship, going through their induction, people who are also applying at the same time as you, people who have gone through the application. And that's really beneficial because you can just go, oh, oh, guys, like oh, I'm having a problem with this or I'm having a problem with that or any recommendations on this. You know, um, you can just say, oh, you know, I, I, I know that I'm going to have to do this for an interview, for example. And people can go, oh, actually, I, I, I had to do something like that. And this is how I did this. And oh, this is how I did that. Or I found this really beneficial. Um, and I found that I think I was I was already in the student forum for the society. But um, Nicola very kindly suggested that I joined the new professional. I can't even say that new professionals forum, which was really, really handy. And that's definitely helped bolster me in my applications. And it was one of the first places I told that I had my job. Um, which was really, really exciting. Um, you know, looking on Rad Twitter as well, um, because it might be that some that you know that's the first place that a role gets advertised, for example, and you could actually not stay ahead of the curve, but ultimately you are sometimes going to be competing against people who you know for a job, and that is something that is kind of the harsh reality of the the you know the the career that we're going into. So, you know, if you've got an extra day or so to potentially like polish that application, you may be, that may be the difference between it. Um, also speak to the people that you're working with on your placement, particularly if you're going to be applying for a job at your placement site. But it could be that they've had a job at the place that, you know, before that you're applying to, or they might actually go, well, if you get a question like this, this is really handy. This is a really good way to answer it, you know, and don't, don't uh, dismiss any, neg not negative information, but like constructive criticism that they have and say, oh, I completely fluffed up this question answer. 
this is how I should have answered it, but this is how I answered it, you know, and this is how I can improve on it. Again, you know, you said that it's always quite busy in the department, um, particularly, you know, with backlogs of, of COVID and stuff like that. But if you get the chance to do, you know, spend half an hour offset, you know, chatting away to one of the band fives, band sixes, and just say, you know, do you mind glancing an eye over my personal statement? You know, I have to thank Naman very kindly for looking over my personal statement. Um, I, you know, I don't think I would have got the role of Macclesfield had it not been <laughs> for him. You know, but just, you know, getting input from all different places. And if, like me, you've got that slightly more life experience and slightly less of the academic experience because you've, um, you know, you've had slightly more life to live um, before your application, absolutely, you know, talk about that in an application. Um, you know, I th most of my answers in my interview were based off working in care. Um, because I was able to transfer that, um, you know. So if you don't feel like you can answer so much on necessarily your radiothera radiotherapy experience, it doesn't have to just be about your time in radiotherapy because it shows that you're a more well-rounded person if you can draw in inspiration and experiences from your wider sphere of knowledge. Again, I'm not entirely sure if I've answered the question there. <laughs> I just sort of rambled on again. <laughs> no, you definitely have. Thank you. And I think touching on sort of drawing your experiences outside of radiotherapy, from my experience having been the interviewer, that's always quite nice to see because it's that life experience and just taking it outside because that all kind of develops into your clinical experience. Um, so, yeah, you definitely did. Um, and congratulations again for your job starting soon. Um, but, yeah, thank you to everyone who's been listening. Um, so your hosts today have been uh, Naaman Jokansen and Joe McNamara. Um, a huge thank you again to our guest, Charlie Parvin. Um, so head over to our YouTube page to see a live recording of this podcast. Um, and you can also see the medals that Charlie's got in the background. If you are utilising this podcast for CPD purposes, consider the reflective questions we've posted, um, along with any links to resources and literature that we've discussed um, to receive your accredited CPD certificate. Please complete the Google form linked with the podcast. Um, our next guest to feature will be Beverly Harden, and she will be discussing her role within Health Education England and the projects and research that she oversees. Um, so thank you all for listening thank and take you. care.